0: This week on the podcast we talk about it's not the size that counts, it's what you do with it. Short sessions, how to run them. Welcome to We Speak Common.
1: Hello and welcome to another episode of We Speak Common brought to you in partnership with the Dice Dungeon where you can get yourself some really nice crafted metal and resin dice lots of different sets perfect for christmas presents if you know a forever dm or a wonderful player in your group and at the moment as we're talking they have their black friday sale on so there is percentages off plus i have been reliably told that if you pop the code we speak common on your checkout it will take an extra 10 off off of your black friday percentage too so basically if you want some dice now's the time to go and get them there's a link in the description of this episode uh, that will take you straight to the website with the code already enabled uh, or you can just go and search for the dice dungeon and then pop in the code at the end to do it that way do it manually if you want to we'll talk more about it later but uh right now joe how you doing mate
0: benjamin that's like a discount synergy that is right there it
1: really is i i didn't think they were gonna let us do that i was mm. like that's way too much money off surely
0: well, there you go, Ben. You know, when when you're as valued as highly as we are, mate, you know, mm. you can get things done with with our immense influence in the D and That must space. be what it is. Yeah, I think yeah. so. makes sense to me.
1: So how you doing, mate? You okay? You good?
0: I'm very well, very well. Um, funny enough, Ben, I must mm. say, I uh, you know, I I, I, ha- I hate to say this actually, as a matter of fact, because it, it almost pains me to say it, but uh, <laughs> right. I, I, I I've been thinking about the D and D game we played. What was it? A couple of days ago. Uh,
1: uh, a Dragon Heist. Yeah, quite
0: extensively. And I've got to say, it was one of the better sessions. It was... Uh, one of the better, like there's not been good ones. I mean, it was... <laughs> no, but that's the thing. There have been good ones. And it's... I mean, I don't know if I could say it's the best session, but it's it's up there.
1: It's oh, up hang there. Hang on, hang on. Now I want to know what the best session was. <sighs> Hang on, I'm just going to fiddle with my microphone for a second hang on. Well, I can't. There re- we go. I can't really <laughs> recall
0: exactly.
1: I mean, we've had some good ones, haven't we? Um What are your highlights? Go on. Indulge me.
0: Well, you know, selfishly, anything with the Xanathar is a big is big fun for me because that's like my mm-hmm. sort of solo quest if you will, although I try to bring the party into it as much as I can. Um I enjoyed sort of the little intervention sessions when when i mean the party's getting yeah. on quite well now, but I like it when they all hate each other to be honest that's, that's <laughs> we where, did get
1: a bit of that in in the session a couple of days ago
0: that's uh that's what I thrive on well that 's why I really liked the last session, and I was thinking about this well like why did it feel quite different to our normal session and I think I figured it out then mm-hmm. and I was like, this feels more like when I run my sessions in terms of pacing. I'm like, why is that? I'm like, well, my sessions are normally, like, three hours long. Yeah. And this session was, like, three and a half hours long instead yeah. of the normal, like, five or six hours we play normally, right? So I'm like... And I think the players, I certainly felt the urgency to get stuff done, mm-hmm. even though we sort of didn't achieve anything for the first hour because we had a lot of important decisions to make and we were kind of arguing about them. After that, we... We rapidly enacted everything we were trying to do. Uh, just, yeah, it was
1: very much go, go, go. Yeah,
0: just because we felt the urgency. But I liked that more than I liked the long sessions in a way. because And the long sessions, I think, worked better when we were in the initial phase of Dragon Heist, where there was no real main plot and it was just kind of an exploratory phase, just to get used to the city, do what you want, pick up mm-hmm. quests as they come in, do stuff like that. It was very casual, right? But now we've got really high stakes with big stuff going on as the campaign's sort of coming to its, its climax and its conclusion. I think mm. the, the actual shorter sessions where we feel somewhat pressured to get things done, to make it like a worthwhile session, actually works better for the overall narrative and the pacing. And it's like when I play my games, especially as a DM, I feel that pressure because I know generally we play in the week, we don't have a lot of time, and I play my games very infrequently. I'm like okay yeah. I need to make sure these players hit some beats here so I try to make sure something big happens every session I don't always achieve that but I felt similar as a player here so as soon as we figured out what we wanted to do which took way longer than it should have we <laughs> we uh we straight away just like, got the ball rolling on it and it just it just felt good just So this is good. the
1: thing there's I always feel like there's this thing of, oh, we only get to play D&D like once a week or we only get to play like once a fortnight. Like we need to set aside a day and make a thing of it because it, we have a big break in between each session. But this is an important conversation to have a bit around pacing, which we always talk about. And actually there's a there's a lovely little article about it on the Dice Dungeon website if you want to go and check it out that we wrote. Um, but there's a lot that you can do with short sessions. So it is important that we, we take a well the next hour or so i suppose to talk about how to really use that that time effectively how to how to run as much of a D experience in 3 hours as you would in 6 for example um and i i get it too because i always whenever i schedule a game i always think oh we've only got like 2 hours or oh we've only got 3 hours like there's not a lot of time there's not what what we're going to do how much am i going to fit into that am i going to actually progress the story any much for these players any much um so I'm glad that you've said that because it means that as a team, we're, we're doing the right thing when we're playing the game and we're progressing and we're getting something out of even the, the shortest amount of time. So, um, yeah. OK, so let's talk about it. then. So what what do you think is the main thing that, that's different?
0: Well, I just felt from my point of view as a player, I had key goals I wanted to get done. We had what helped is we had a, a time sensitive issue in game where mm. we had this thing it was kind of an involved plot point, I won't get into too much, but basically the Xanathar was gonna find out something quite compromising about us that I didn't really want him to know, and it was we had to deal with it and there were multiple solutions to this, um, varying on the, the moral scale, if you will, from from very virtuous to very evil. And mm. the evil one quite thematically in this case being the easiest it was we, we could just go kill a guy and our problem would be solved but yeah, that that was not how the party wanted to roll on this one and not how I wanted to roll so we had this time sensitive issue and first of all we spent like an hour trying to figure out what to do like, oh my god this is going terribly but I mean I was enjoying it because of the, the role play <laughs> back and forth and Kauri my character is kind of of the opinion well fine we'll do it your way but if it all goes tits up not my problem I didn't say this you know because He's, yeah. of, he's
1: a bit of a dickhead like that. He is a bit of a dickhead, isn't he? Um, luckily,
0: though, uh, it did end up all going Kauri's way in the end anyway, because uh, the, the, the one who was pushing back, Kiro, was then told by the black staff itself, the actual staff, to just do it Kauri's way. So all worked out in the end. Uh, and once again, I was correct. I got to gloat in that. My character got to revel in the fact that he was correct, which is one of his favourite things to do. Mm-hmm. So that was very nice. And then when we actually got down to business, everything was just quick-fire, ba-bang. And it was cool because uh, we we utilized a lot of our uh, influence as well in this session, mm-hmm. well, pretty mm-hmm. much all of our influence. So Kiro had to go get a uh, modified memory. This was how we solved our issue, by the way, from the, the black staff, which he could do because he had a bunch of renown and had been helping out the black staff. That was handy. Then uh, I had to sort of... Use my influence with the Xanathar to frame the narrative in a way that would benefit us. The net profit of that being is the big bad guy, Manshoon, who we need to go and kill now. I've got a couple more NPCs who are going to come along with us and help. Hopefully they have good stat blocks. I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't get the NPC I wanted. Ben will not letting me have the big fighter. But I got a couple of other guys, so I'll no, accept it
1: you know i've sundef and his wife and familiar
0: I'm that, would, that would have been nice but i'll yeah. accept the other ones hopefully nuscars actually decent and not just a pretty face oh my sweet summer child and then i've got then i've got you know uh Sun Death's apprentice, so hopefully he 's like a lesser sun death i 'm hoping mm-hmm. i'm hoping he's not just like the veteran stat block that was, <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's not going to last very long if that's the case so this is quite fun because so for for context in a very brief way, you guys found out that manshun has been living in the city in kolak towers for years, pulling strings and is playing this grand game to get this five hundred thousand dragons, and every single um quest giver as it were has basically said that's bad he's a bad guy we need to deal with him but why why is he doing it why is he here and it's quite it was quite fun watching you all go like you were all sort of like well why do we why do they want to know let's just kill him if he's such a bad guy let's just kill him so let's go and ask a different quest giver and they're like yes we should absolutely kill him but first why is he here (laughs) because everyone wants to know because knowledge is power and if this guy who is literally um, you know, Archmage doesn't really do do him justice in any way as a title. Um, he's been alive for, for centuries. If this guy has been living in secret under the noses of the Open Lord and, and the Xanathar and everybody for years, they want to know why. What is he planning? Why does he want the money? Because he will have to have a good reason and they'll probably want to do the same thing. So everyone said, "Yeah, absolutely, we should kill him, but go and find out why." The one exception to that is the spirit of Kelvin Urasan, the original Black Staff. Sorry, I'm just whacking the microphone. Um, inside the actual Black Staff, he said, "I fought him before. Go and kill him. I don't want to deal with it." So you're, and what's quite nice, and I'm I'm not sure how much I want to say because you haven't encountered Manchu yet. Um, but what's quite nice is that you guys seem to, from my my chair have the fear of god in you around this wizard you 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 are looking for help you think it's going to be tough which is good because i want you to feel that way because he is a big bad um but at the same time i'm now sat here worried like okay i've egged him up i've made sure they know he's bad what happens if they walk in there and they just one show him (laughs) because it could happen with all the help you get in well this is the thing though but i was thinking
0: about this as well because the end of the campaign is going to culminate in an attempt to kill the Xanathar, right? Yes. We've kind of worked out we're actually going to complete the main campaign first, and then there's like an epilogue, go and kill the Xanathar.
1: Mm-hmm. And I was thinking about... And instate you as the new Xanathar. And I was thinking about this,
0: and all the, the entire campaign is revolved around planning and killing the Xanathar. And that if we then killed him in like one round, because of all the planning and stuff, I would not be
1: dissatisfied with that. In fact... Mm. That yeah. would almost be cooler than if it was a long drawn out fight. And this is... goes back to what I was saying last week with Nilhalor the Mind Flayer and how it's important to learn that lesson as a DM that just because it goes over quickly doesn't mean it's not been epic for the players. No, because if I look, I think about the stuff we're doing, right? So um, I've got Maloon on
0: our side, who's a, a big, a very strong fighter. Um, yep. Yeah, yeah, he's, got...
1: he's he's in your pocket, ready to help you kill the Zan.
0: He's got a very Big, bad, dangerous, magical weapon. And I'm going to presume he's got a a, a big bag of hit points and he can do a lot of damage. That's what I'm presuming. Uh, So we've got... uh, I've nailed him. I've removed the Xanathar's Spymaster, Mind Flayer, who was the one I think would really help him in any given situation like this. And I'm slowly beginning to sort of pull some of the organization towards my side. So should anyone run in on this fight, they may be questioning who they should turn to in mm-hmm. in this case, or maybe they'll, I'm hoping they'll just let it play out and join whoever wins, you know, because mm. this is the thing about the Xanathar, I don't think anyone's actually very loyal to him. They're just very afraid of him. No one actually likes him as a person, right? So <laughs> he's it, not even a person. That's it. That's the, it's the fear that keeps them in check. But when he's diminished, you know, that fear will also be diminished. And then beyond that, we're completing the campaign. So we're going to get a big bag of money, but, maybe 50k maybe a bit more during negotiations to trick ourselves out which i'm going to trick out all my magic weapons hopefully get some magic armor i'm gonna we've got an artificer who's a good friend of ours so i'm hopefully gonna grab a bunch of infusions off before we go and fight yeah for the fight then as well i'm thinking how else can we beat it well i'm like well he flies everyone needs a flying potion so they're they're never out of range of him we may need some sort of fairy fire or see invisibility thing. Because now I know he can go invisible on a dime.
1: Yeah, he's got an invisibility ring.
0: Yeah, which I thought was the case. And that's not going to run out. So, uh, which is also the magic item that
1: Kauri wants the most. It's really... Do you know what? I? When I planned this campaign and when I wrote my little DM document, um, must have been about a year and a half ago now, I, I sat there thinking about who was going to be the big bad. And, I mean, who do you think the big bad of the campaign is, in your opinion?
0: Xanatha. Uh... It, it is right. him, because it's not, yeah. it's not Jarl Axel. Jarl Axel's kind of a shady guy, but he's not necessarily... Like, he's not evil. Well, he has understandable motivations. But he he's, he's evil. Well, he doesn't care for anyone who's not a Luxon, right? Yeah. but he has people who he cares for that humanizes him. Manshoon, we don't know about. He could be a really big bad guy. He probably is, but we don't know anything about him, so I can't really
1: mention that. Mm-hmm. Then you've got Hallaster, who's barely even involved. And mm-hmm. then that's you're... that's more of a seed for the for the eventual descent into Undermountain, if you wanted to take it.
0: Yeah. Then you've got the uh, what's it? The family with the, the Casalanters. I don't see them as like real big bads. I mean, they're obviously in some shady stuff and have done some really dark things, but mm. they're not
1: actively like trying so, to to be disruptive right now. When I when I was writing my book, I was like, right, the Castlanters are going to be the main bad guys, because my original plan was that you guys would be tricked by. The, well, I was hoping you guys would be tricked by the Castlanters into helping them because they, they kind of put on this front like they do of everyone of being this upstanding noble family when actually they're Asmodean cultists. And um, I'm, ha- I'm happy to tell you this because it's now not going to happen. You guys have nothing to do with the, the Castellanters. They basically left the game at this point. Um, they were, if you'd have helped them and given them the gold, you would have got a bigger share of it from anyone else, but also you would have been invited to a big feast, a um, big uh, celebration on a ho- holiday in the... uh in the Faerunian calendar, in the Waterdavian calendar, and you would have been there with a load of nobles and they also would have invited in 99 um, families from the field ward, all these poor families, all these homeless people. They would have invited them in to be like, look, we're charitable, we're going to feed them. And they would have fed those 99 people midnight tears, the poison. So the, the thing being, they have to give over the money to Asmodeus to free their children's souls from demons, but they also have to give 99 souls. By you all being there, all of those noble people, you all become accomplices linked into their plot and therefore um, don't, don't want to rat them out, basically. that's That was their plot. And I was kind of hoping, like, oh, they might become the big bads and then there'd be this big epic reveal at the end that actually you've been you've been played the whole time, which would have been really fun. And then how do you cope with that? Also, side note, do you remember that play you went to see mm. uh, when you saw Mert? It's a direct uh, foreshadow of their story. Yeah. So that would have been really cool, too. But, but we when kind you of guys, figured out they were just evil from you did. the off. <laughs> yeah, you really did. Especially with Brom and his really high insight. He like he just knows if people are, who are off. He just feels the vibe. Um, <laughs> so when that went awry, I was like, oh, okay, so this is going a different way. And it was really fun to see. And I'm actually pl- really pleased it's gone this way because it's it's meant that Jarl Axel became a bit of a anti-hero. He's kind of um, like a likable
0: character, really.
1: Yeah, you know exactly. I mean? He's quite the likeable. Xanathar's become that kind of big bad that you all want to get rid of and it's given you a nice sort of end cap before you leave and um manshun is like this unforeseen shadowy figure and it's like why is he here what does he want and that's kind of the mystery side so i'm actually really pleased with how it's gone well here's the thing like i I would say like, like i say if we
0: we've got two big battles coming up right beyond just the the final completion of going into the the dragon heist Dungeon and finishing that. I don't know how much like combat oriented that's going to be and whatnot. I know it's a big no, gold dragon in there, but we ain't going to go and fight that. So there's we <laughs> got to You big, can try if you want you to. You try, but we got Manchun and we've got Xanatha. Right, I'm yeah. going to presume at least one of those will end up being a more traditional big D and D battle. I would assume that's probably going to be the Manchun one. Mm. Like, is more because we haven't really prepared for it. We've just got. More characters on our side. And you've got to get through the tower as well. Well, that's it. So that's going to be a traditional dungeon. But then, like, it doesn't matter to me at all if the Xanathar one is not like that. And I suspect it may not be, like, a massively drawn-out thing. Because if the plan works, he should be drained by the time we come and and fight him, right? Because Mm. the plan is to get him to
1: fight a Beholder first. And... Hopefully. So I've been, I've been really thinking about this, and I've got a nice little, I've got, I've got, in, I've got into his head a little bit, and I've worked out where his paranoia will lead him, what route he'll take if when that dream machine goes down, and it's, it's going to be a lot of fun, I think.
0: <laughs> I, I suspect it's going to be fun. It's going to be carnage. You know what I mean? There's going to just yeah. be, you know, Skullport's going to be an absolute nightmare to live in. Uh, oh you... God,
1: yeah, because you've got the skulls as well.
0: Yeah, yeah. So That's the thing. The skull, and here's the thing, like. I'm presuming the skulls are not necessarily going to be on our side, but they're definitely not going to be on the Xanathar's side once they mm. get their, their wits back together, right? So for those who don't know, there are these, these magical skulls that are kind of like protectors of Skullport. and uh, They're
1: flame skulls. Yeah,
0: and they've been basically... They're kind of inert at the minute. They've gone a bit mad. But when we enact the plan to kill the Xanathar, they should come back online. And so they, they're a kind of an unknown property. They may help us. Which I'm, I'm hoping they do. I don't know if they will, because I, I, I presume I'm probably gonna have to fight the Xanathar in his sanctum. I don't really know where he sleeps. So I need to figure that out as well. So that way well, you
1: have, you have seen his
0: private room now. I've seen it, but I don't like. I don't want to fight him in there, but I presume I'm probably gonna have to. That's just because now he, well, he's definitely not leaving the base now. Now Manshoon's out and about. Mm. So until we kill Manshoon, he maybe once I kill Manshoon, I might be able to lure him somewhere else. The only other thing I can do is 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 steal his fish, and that will draw him out to somewhere, yes, and a, a more favorable killing ground. But again, I want him to fight the beholder, so I'm like, well, maybe it's better if he does that in his lair, and then I straight away just yeah, gonna...
1: you want him to dream another beholder into existence. I've not
0: I've not figured out the minutia of the plan yet, but I was I was thinking about our preparation and stuff. So I'm like, everyone needs flying potions, everyone needs heroism potions because. It's going to be saving throw City there. I don't even think he has a normal attack beyond uh, just his bite. Uh, I think pretty much all his rays are um, saving throws, almost mm-hmm. all of them. Mm-hmm. So we need some good saves. I need to get a ring of evasion because I know as soon as he knows I've turned on him, Ben, he's, he's been threatening to disintegrate me for weeks now. <laughs> so I know that's going to be his number no, he, one go-to thing immediately upon seeing me. He
1: pulled me. you out. he called you out in front of the round table because he he was like he he showed his fear to you and he tried to impart that on you when you mentioned Manchin. um but you weren't you managed to withstand that um which is a good which is is, for him is like oh shit this guy can withstand my power which is which is one part to add to the paranoia as well but he pulled out a prisoner and just turned him to stone in front of you like look i'm not i'm not a little bitch Mm. I'll, I will mm. mess you up.
0: But that was a good sign for Kauri because that, that he, he began to see the cracks, no pun intended, uh, yeah. <laughs> in, in the Xanathar's armour because he, you know, if he feels the need to do a, a show of force like that, then that means he's, he's becoming a bit insecure. Yes, exactly. And so, and so uh, that's good. That's perfect. And I think everyone else in the room got that same vibe. Like, mm. it, and even when Cowrie was saying, like, you know, see, look, the Xanathar's not, I, I was, like, being the hype man for the Xanathar there. Being <laughs> like, look, he's not afraid. We can't be afraid of the Manshoon. But really what I'm saying to everyone else is, like, things are not looking good. Yeah, you is... like, giving that
1: thieves' can't away. <laughs>
0: yeah, well, kind of, like, by by saying, like, by, by the fact that I even have to big up the Xanathar shows that there's a problem.
1: Yeah, yeah but, absolutely.
0: And, but no, I, I, I'm hoping no one suspects my uh, disloyalty yet. And so when it does happen, everyone could be like, "Well, we kind of like Cowrie, actually. He's been good to all of us."
1: So yeah, I think the only one that 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 knows is Twinbeard because you've you've sort of asked him questions that have yeah. given hints away. But he himself is a Harper spy, so you've kind of
0: well. That's the thing; he can't. I mean, it's mutually assured destruction if he tells yeah. anyone. So exactly. Uh, plus, I'm I'm going to help him. You know, I'll help him escape and everything when it goes down. My plan is to get Twinbeard to help me shut off the machine and whatnot. And then when the chaos erupts, which I assume it will do quite quickly after that machine goes off, uh, he and the uh, the Drow can escape with their little smuggling plan that they were going to enact, you know? So I'm happy for him to escape. He's a he's a good bloke. Plus, he got everyone nice new mattresses in the Xanathar Guild, which I, I can appreciate, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, looking, <laughs>
1: Looking after the little man. Looking after the troops.
0: I mean, I don't know where I'm going with this, but the point is, I just felt like Ironically, the short session, which I, I often feel is kind of a, a negative, especially when I'm DMing, because it just feels like a lot more pressure on me to to make each session fun. You know, yeah, I get that. I get but that. In this situation, it just worked out well because we got a lot done. We had that big, those big moments with Xanathar. We had uh, Kiro's big moment with the the black staff, the black staff itself, the item, mm. and the souls within. And see, that was a bit of an interesting intrigue as well uh the fact that the black staffs are fighting with each other is yeah
1: kelvin erason is a bit of a cranky old man he's like do it my way or or, or sod off um so, for those of you that don't know the black staff, the item holds the soul when the black staff the person passes their soul transfers into the staff, so the staff holds like five different black stuff, I think there's only been like six or seven, but I sort of imbued it a bit and I said well there's there's hundreds of voices you can hear. it's kind of this otherworldly dimension in there um, but the most prominent of all the voices is the original black staff, Kelvin Orison, whose name I'm probably saying wrong um and Vajra she um she was the apprentice of. Kelvin's apprentice basically. So her but she was also with him romantically. So she was with this guy who was training to be the next Blackstaff. There was this big explosion and in it it killed the Blackstaff and her partner. So yeah. instantly the title went to her when she wasn't really ready. So she's kind of seen as this like young upstart Blackstaff who doesn't really follow the rules and does things her own way and um, and she's been having a back and forth argument with Kelvin. Also side note, that's why she has a rough relationship with the open lord lyriel silverhand because lyriel and Kelburn were married and they have kids so the only way lyriel can still connect with her long dead husband is through the black stuff and they don't see eye to eye Mm. so it's a tricky sort of weird little triangle going on there um it's interesting as well because i thought as well like
0: kiro so blatantly, James keeps saying, No, no, I'm just a good character. I'm just good <laughs> on characters. No, I'm like, You just want to be the black stuff, you just want the magic item. I can, yeah, I, I can see it, it's obvious, yeah. And uh, I just thought, Well, that's never going to happen. I mean, he's he's not going to let two of his PCs in the game become prominent figures in the city, but then now it actually seems possible. Mm-hmm. Anything's like, possible. I'm like, If Kiro just Plays it right, and here's the thing: I think he is a bit too good aligned to. Carrie's really going to have to corrupt him, I think, to to oh, backstab yeah. backstab the Black Staff like this. But I think I can convince him. I know he's. Here's the thing: I know his lust for power will overcome his good sensibilities, which mm. is uh, which is perfect for me. So, and then how to think about that, Ben? How that works? I become
1: the boss of the thieves guild, right? Mm. And then, like my best pal, is the Black Staff. So perfect. The, the black staff, the item can choose a new wielder if the other black staff hasn't passed away for example. Um I don't know how that would look politically. That's such an interesting scenario. Um so we you know if that did happen to Kiro, he'd have to deal with all of that fallout from that change. Yeah, but change.
0: Ben, he'd have the support of the underground criminal network.
1: Exactly. You know, Joe? I can make things happen. I can make things happen. What's really fun is that you're gonna move away from the game when you go off for your new role, but you're always welcome back to the table. And having you come back as Cowrie in that position, I can basically make you be a party patron, which yeah. is so cool. It's just and here's my plan: as soon as Cowrie gets into
0: power, he's gonna try and take over control of all of all the courts, all the uh, the unions, the guilds, everything. He's gonna get. It's looks like he the the plan eventually Ben is to. Make a peace deal with the good sense, the Zentarum, who are kind of the our, Black like, Network. our opposing Thieves Guild in a way, right? They're not really a Thieves Guild, but they're...
1: They're more like mercenaries slash acquirers. Yeah, Ben. But I'm going to take
0: them over from the inside, okay? <laughs> they're going to become mine. Okay. And then I can just rule the city and then beyond. You know what I mean? World domination. It's, uh, yeah. It's yeah, I get it. One, one little step at a time. So there is a big beholder in my way right now. Which is a problem. That's and uh, what's fun is that this whole, um, this whole
1: this whole storyline comes from you dying and waking up with a madness, and you had that one, that one thing was like, okay, you have a goal, and your goal is to kill the Xanathar, and that's, and now it's turned into this. Well, that's the thing because the players like you know they're
0: always like, oh, why is like putting us in so much danger, doing all this stuff, blah blah blah, and I like my justification is he's mad, he. Mm. He, like, has to do this. He feels it's beyond all importance, anything else. Like, if I hadn't had that, he would have joined the Xanathar Guild anyway, but more Mm -hmm. just for the access and the influence and whatnot. Mm -hmm. And he probably wouldn't have been too... He might have wanted to take out the Xanathar at some point, but it wouldn't have happened this campaign, and he would have just used them as, like, a tool, right, to complete complete the campaign in a way. But, yeah, now it's become... So much more. I mean, he had no. I had no interest in. It. One, you know what's funny? When I comprised this character, like for the starter set, I'm like, mm-hmm. well, I'm really used to sort of playing paladins and the face of the party, like leadership type characters, and and I I felt like I, I take the spotlight a lot of the time in in the party, and I as a player, I just didn't want to do that anymore. Mm-hmm. I was like, okay, so let me play a rogue. Like l- by literal tradition, they are in the dark, <laughs> in the back, <laughs> just stabbing yeah. people. That's a, they're not in the front, the spotlight at all. But as things have gone on, I don't know if it's just my selfish way of playing, I guess, or just <laughs> just, just naturally how the characters progress, but he progressively gets put forward and forward and forward. And sometimes I feel like it's because the players are just, our players are, are very, they ha- oftentimes they have sort of a uh, decision paralysis. They just mm-hmm. can't move forward. Mm-hmm. So I'm just like, well, let's just do this then. Let's just commit, commit mm-hmm. to the goal. And because of that, somehow it's ended up with kauri now trying to take over the thieves guild mm. i i don't know how we've gone from one to the other but
1: Who there knows. you go i also kind of like the idea that kauri will complete his goal kill the Xanathar, and be seated as the new Xanathar, but then his madness will be gone and he'll be sat there like why am i here why have i done this i don't want this <laughs> like, well, that's i'm just a, here
0: well that's the thing he he's sort of
1: his end goal in life is just to
0: is to live like quite quite carefree you know his his plan was to become really really rich through theft and whatnot in, indulge his indulgences which is kind of art and and thrill-seeking and whatnot and uh like bring his brother up to live with him and they can have this this kind of sick life you know what i mean but a few key things have changed that and obviously where he is now potentially taking over the Xanatha guild is the complete opposite of that because he'll have the most Immense amount of responsibility in the world, which is the opposite of a of a carefree life. But because he's had Squidly, which is a basically his like adopted son at this point, a, <laughs> yeah, this little young like fourteen year old tiefling boy who he's who been, are using the sidekick rules as well. Yeah, we've been who are, he's been training in the art of thievery and uh, whatnot. He's not very good at it, but what are you gonna do? And and he's not and, committed. No, and training him up and whatnot. is kind of seen like what? a horrible influence he is to people <laughs> yeah. around yeah. him. And he's like, actually, I don't think that's a good idea for my brother to just come and live with me. I will, I will ruin him. I will literally yeah. ruin his life. So I think now if he does become the leader of the Thieves Guild and that, he'll just probably just send him a bunch of money and, and tell him to uh,
1: live comfortably.
0: Well, to just to appreciate the things that he didn't appreciate. Carrie, Carrie had some real beef. With his parents growing up and whatnot, he felt very stunted. But he's beginning to appreciate the the lessons learned. I mean, his dad's like four hundred years old. You know, what I mean, he's a wood elf. He has he has no reason to do anything quickly because yeah. elves, as a general rule, have no reason to do anything quickly. They have all the time in the world. So, and that frustrated Cowrie. But now he, he understands it. The slower pace of life, there is value in it. Because <laughs> he's living this completely mental life, which is oftentimes not very fun at all. He's got a lot of pressure on him right now. so You know what that is, Joe? That's character
1: development.
0: That is development. He's beginning to, yeah, he's beginning to, you know, sometimes you've got to lose things before you can see them. And yeah. uh, that's, I think, yeah. Beautiful.
1: That's one of beautiful, Cowrie's,
0: Cowrie's story. In a nutshell there, and the more he loses, the more he sees, so in a way, maybe he 's gaining. but mm. there you go
1: hey no- um you, you know what else you could uh you could send your brother a pack of oh, money oh my goodness, Ben, is this
0: going to be the segue of a lifetime? <laughs> is this what we
1: 're about to <laughs> Well, I was just thinking, if you're going to send him something to, to make his day and to make him feel a little bit happier and bring him joy when he's out with his friends playing Dungeons and Dragons, why not send him a bunch of dice? Ah, so it's like he's playing Dungeons and Dragons within Dungeons and Dragons, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, except like a... in, inside my Dungeons and Dragons, world, well, Dungeons and Dragons is called, uh, what's it called? It's called, it's called Caves and Kobolds.
0: Caves and Kobolds, Ma- makes yeah. a lot of sense. It's a very toned down version of the game, actually.
1: Yeah, it's really chilled, actually. <laughs> Yeah, it's like they're they're only on like see, sixth edition. So, see,
0: see when there's so many options out there for for you know Dungeons and Dragons or caves and kobolds gifts, as you put it. How would mm. I perhaps select one that would be of a, appropriate? You know.
1: Well, I mean, I always select my gift giving because I am so selfish, based on how much money I can save when I buy those gifts. Makes know? a lot of sense. It's it frugal. does, doesn't it? Mm. Yeah, charity starts at home and all that. So, <laughs> 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 I would go to the Dice Dungeon, who are a wonderful UK-based dice and other D and D paraphernalia pref- like tins and things and blogs. Uh, they're a wonderful website where you can get yourself ten percent off with the code We Speak Common on any dice that they do, whether that be metal or resin and right now joe they've got their black friday deal on like right now as this episode's recording but if you live in the future it's probably finished
0: and you know being spiritable in the the essence of of charity to oneself ben that's like a triple synergy because you, you get the We Speak Common discount. You get the Black Friday discount. And, Ben, you get a kickback off of it anyway. So it's, for you, <laughs> yeah, it really works out. You know what I mean? It's
1: amazing. <laughs> yeah, the more you buy, the better the podcast serves. So <laughs> go crazy. Um, although well, I would say if Kauri's ordering dice from the Dice Dungeon, that shipping time across the multiverse might take might a take little a little
0: what? bit of time. Yeah, yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah I, I hear inter- inter-sphere travel isn't, isn't the best right now. Well, Ben, actually, with the release of Tasha's Cauldron of Everything, Ben, it's actually a little bit easier than it once was. Oh my god, it is. It actually is. Um, Do you want to do a little side note on that? Because I really want to talk about this. And then we we can actually finish off with our topic.
0: Well, I I do, because uh, just a couple of things. We did a little bonus episode on Tasha's, but we didn't get through everything. I just want to shout out some more stuff that I'm kind of excited about, because, again, this is by far my favourite D&D book I've ever experience. It's just so much stuff in it I want to I want to play with. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, so yeah. I have got to say both the rogue options in this are awesome. Really really awesome. So there's two subclasses, right? The one the, the better one I think is called the phantom. Now this is edge lord supreme. The, you know. <laughs> Brilliant. If you, you want to be as edge lord as you can get, this is it. But you can still play it still has scope for many different types of characters, but I can see the the dark gothic ed- edge will, will love this. And um, so basically, the whole theme of the subclass is that you can commune with the dead. You are in touch with the eternal afterlife beyond. You understand the dead. You can control the dead, but wow. not in the way like a cleric or a, a a death knight or you know whatever dark paladin can. It's more of a a. A kind a, a symbiotic relationship where you sort of feed the dead and they feed you, right? So this is pretty cool. So a third level. Wait, hang you, on. You feed the dead. Well, you feed the dead by killing them. You know what I mean? So the, you're is increasing that, their is numbers. That if you're feeding,
1: you will. I'd okay. say so.
0: The sure. death as its own sort of uh, large incorporeal entity. I think would be very happy with your work. Okay, and, yeah, I understand. And so the Raven this Queen. Is pretty Yeah, exactly. So. You get a couple of different features when you get it at a third level. So, yeah, whispers of the dead, Ben. When whenever you sh- finish short or long rest, you can choose one skill or tool proficiency that you lack and gain it as a ghostly presence shares its knowledge with you. So you're just chatting with the dead. And you're like, do you happen to know any dead people who are good carpenters? And he's like, yes, I do. Let me bring him in. Let me bring him in. You want, you want some carpenters' tools? You want to know how to use them? This guy's your man. So that's, that's just thematically fun anyway that's kind of the ribbon billy but then the real one is when you uh, perform a sneak attack on someone you mm-hmm. can target a second creature within 30 feet of that creature and roll up to half the sneak attack die so 50% more damage right basically um, to that second creature as necrotic damage uh, so as like basically you know Whales from the grave. It's called the ghostly apparitions of the dead that surround you and uh, envelop you, and now leaping out to t- other targets around you and causing significant harm. Which wow. I think is is very very fun. Now this is where it gets quite spicy, Ben. Okay, because yep. you've got you've got tokens of the dead here, right? when basically when a life ends in your presence you're able to snatch a token from the departing soul a sliver of its life essence essentially right mm-hmm. and it it forms into what they call a soul trinket which could be any number of things i imagine you know you can pick from the trinkets table in the player's handbook but it could yeah. be any little knickknack or something that maybe represents that person maybe a so palliwack you can yeah exactly you can hold a number of these equal to proficiency bonus so up to six eventually and you can use them in the following way. So this, whenever you just have one new person, this is always on. You get advantage on death saves, nice. And constitution saving throws, very nice. Mm-hmm. Uh, for your vitality is enhanced by the life essence within your object. You're just leeching the life from the people you kill, Ben. It's not enough just to kill them. You know what I mean? You've got to really... You've got to really screw- take it
1: from them too. Yeah,
0: screw the yeah. nail in afterwards. Another option, when you deal sneak attack damage on your turn, you can destroy one of your soul trinkets that's on your person and then immediately use the whales of the Grave, so like using your main third level feature, you can do even more with this. And then this is nice, as an action, you can destroy one of the soul trinkets, no matter where it's located. When you do so, you can ask the spirit associated with it, a trinket, one question. The spirit appears to you and answers in a language it knew in life, it's under no obligation to be truthful and it answers as concisely as possible, eager to be free. Uh, so it's begrudgingly <laughs> answering your questions. But the, like the, as a DM, I'm just like, yes,
1: if you kill my big bad before he gets the monologue, I can just monologue now. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah absolutely. It gives yeah. you that chance to come back in with it all. And what I love <laughs> were those chef kisses. Yes, it was. <laughs> I literally did that at my computer for
0: no one to see. And then, Ben, this is what I love about this. Is the fact that it's under no obligation to be truthful, so your relationship with it in life will affect how it talks to you in death. It's not like the Speak with Dead um, spell where they don't really get a choice in the matter. Mm-hmm. They just say, they just answer your questions. Here, they can be a little bit snarky about it. You yeah, if, you, the, if they hate you, they still hate you. You kill the cobalt and then you smash the trinket to find out where the secret entrance to the cobalt lair is, and he's like, wow. <laughs> I ain't telling you. You know what I mean. Or he could send. <laughs> or he could send you up the river. You know what I mean. So then you have to sort of. I'd want quite high insight on this character, if I'm honest, to detect yeah.
1: like when the trinket. When you're being, tri- yeah, when you're being lied to.
0: Yeah, which I think is fun. And then thirteenth level. This is just nice. So you can phase partially into the realm of the dead, becoming like a ghost. As like I would describe this in such a cool way, and if I was a DM, I'd be like, you can see all the dead around you. Anyone who's ever died at this location, you can see. You know what I mean? Uh, <laughs> I'd love the fact that you phase into a ghost at this point, point. I'd be like, okay, you see a red dragon lying on the floor. A thousand years ago, a red dragon died here, or something. Dude. You, know what I mean? you could be really flavorful with it, I think, as a DM. And as a bonus action, you assume a spectral form. While well, in this form, you have a flying speed of 10 feet. Pretty nice. You can hover. And attack rolls have disadvantage against you. So, just permanent disadvantage on you. You can still do all your normal actions. You can phase through objects and creatures, but it's a difficult to train. You can stay in this form for 10 minutes or end it as a bonus action. Uh, you must finish a long rest or destroy one of your soul trinkets to do it again. So, you could do this quite a lot if you're killing a lot of people and, and absorbing trinkets and whatnot. So... I love the fact that they give you this new currency of trinkets and then multiple ways to
1: spend them. You just become um, coal from a sixth sense.
0: Yeah, kind of. It's pretty (laughs) pretty awesome. And this is quite a powerful ability. So disadvantage, you know, to hit you from everyone, basically. And you can hover. So if you're a ranged character, this works really nice.
1: Oh, beautiful.
0: You you just fly up into the air. You can't be hit by melee characters. Lovely. Mm. And then the last one is Death's Friend. (laughs) Uh, your association with death has become so close you gain the following benefits. When you use your whales of the grave, you can deal necrotic damage to both the first and second creature. So essentially, you're getting double sneak attack damage Mm. across those two creatures now. Mm. Love it, love it. At the end of a long rest, a soul trinket appears in your hand if you don't have any soul trinkets as the spirits of the dead are drawn to you. I love it, Ben.
1: This is just... I Mm. would really love a, a plot line where you've got this kind of this kind of rogue teamed up with a lich. And he's like, yeah, just, just go out there and capture some souls for me so that I can have them later when, you, uh, when you're when you done tormenting them as trinkets. And I'll stick them and, in the phylactery.
0: And here's the thing. You can cheese the hell out of this. Um, it just says creature, right? Yeah. You carry around a jar of bees and whenever you're low on trinkets, just shake it vigorously. I <laughs> kill a few. Yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't... If I was a DM, I'd be like, come on, bro.
1: Yeah, it's like, I'm going to release this beat. All right, do you want to ask it a question? <laughs> yeah. Like, it just buzzes at you.
0: I'd be like, come on, come on. But I uh, I mean, there is that option there if you're a bit of a, a munchkin. But that is, I don't know. I don't know what you think of that, but I just think it's cool. It I, is I, really I cool. I like it.
1: I mean, I'm, <laughs> I'm not looking forward to the amount of edgelords that are going to be in my next party. But... I'll take it. I, I it's a really fun character and there's definitely a lot of um a lot of plot points you can weave into that kind of that storytelling there. Uh, yeah. I like it. I know I really like it. I'm, I'm intrigued yeah. by more of that. <clears throat> and then the other one which I won't go into too much
0: is again there's like lots of different psionic subclasses for a bunch yes. of the uh, the different classes now and there is one for the rogue which essentially revolves around you creating like psionic knives in your hand which you can stab people with or throw. And stab people. I mean, in a way, you're stabbing them. Either way, really. But mm. uh, you can do that, and then you can bolster them, and and have lots of other stuff. You can teleport around. It, it reminds. It's like a, the roguish version of the Sai warrior one, or the Psy knight, or whatever it was for the fighter. Yeah. The only problem I see with this one is it completely negates you being able to use magic weapons which i guess is not a big deal if you don't use much magic items in your campaign but i think most people use a lot quite a lot of magic items right they do I, yeah, i think and i i know we always use magic items in our campaign cuz they're quite fun and because you're constantly using these soul knives you're never going to use like a, a dagger or something right
1: mm. i
0: thought it w- it would be cool if maybe you had an ability where if you got a magic weapon similar to how like a hex blade can absorb a magic weapon into their Make it their sort of hexblade weapon, if you will. Yeah, it it would be cool if you could take that magic item and when it's on your property, like your your maybe your soul knives have the same properties as that weapon or something. But yeah. that's not the case, so that's the only downside. But there's some really cool stuff here. Like I say, you can you can sort you have those psionic energy die, which again is like a new currency, and you can use them to re roll attacks, to teleport around. Uh, you can magically become invisible, which is quite nice. Uh, at the highest level, you can sweep your psionic blades directly through a creature's mind. Oh. When, when you use your psychic blade to deal sneak attack damage to the creature, you can force that target to make a whiz save. If he fails, he's stunned for one minute. Stunned target, you can repeat the saving throw at the end of each turn. So what's nice about this, so I imagine you sneak up to someone, like an assassination, right? Mm-hmm. And you stab them, but they're not quite dead. But then you can just stun them there, and then just stab them again. <laughs> yeah, you know I mean, so it's uh it's quite nice, and they they only. I mean, become...
1: it's a relative term. Yeah,
0: <laughs> they only become unstunned at the end of each of their turns if they make the save, not on damage. That's, so
1: yeah, so it does work that way. What's lovely is you
0: could start an encounter like this. The rogue sneaks up. So, uh, bear in mind, this is a really high level, seventeenth level. Not many people are going to be playing at this level, but if you do get there you can attack someone stun them and then the whole party can attack them and there's nothing they can do about it right mm-hmm. it's uh you know it's kind of like the monk stunning strike but you don't have to be a monk so that's nice <laughs> yeah yeah uh, so yeah i just thought i'd shout that out because i feel like a lot of the rogue subclasses i'm not really interested in like I say, I play a Thief at the minute, and it's only good because the DMs have given me a lot of allowance to really utilize that Fast Hands ability, a lot more so than I would say is probably was probably originally intended. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, that's the only reason it's actually been worthwhile. But the other subclasses for Rogue, they've just not really been up my alley, to be honest. I've not enjoyed any of them. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, you've got things like, oh, everyone goes, oh, but Assassin, Assassin's so good. I'm like, yes, the level three ability is quite
1: good the level 17 ability is quite good.
0: What about everything in the middle? That's bad. Yeah,
1: yeah. But are there any changes to the abilities in Tashas that would make that more fun for you? Because that's one of the things that I like the most about Tashas is that you can swap out what those those um level like abilities are as you go. Well, I would I was thinking about this because if I was to say ever get to 9th level in rogue,
0: um you the thief ability is you can if you move at half speed, you get advantage on your stealth checks. I'm like, well, I've got a cloak of elven Kind kind of already
1: got already that. Already have that, yeah. So
0: I'd be like, could I swap that for something else? You know what I mean?
1: Yeah. Which so, I, would, I would be fine with as a DM.
0: Yeah, which I think would be cool. And I mean, I could almost... I can imagine if I was, like, the top of the Xanathus Guild at that point, I could almost maybe use it for, like, swap it out for the Soul Trinket feature or something, right? Because that that's kind of thematic. Or anything else that works. Maybe the scout and whatnot. So... Yeah, I mean, it, I'm just pleased that I've found a couple of rogue ones that I really like. I mean, it's pretty much... I would play any of the classes now. Mm. Almost. Uh, yeah, I would even play a ranger. Cause I quite oh, look like, at you! Because I quite like the Swarm Keeper. I've not yeah. really read... There's another one called Fey Wanderer, which I've not really read into, but the Swarm Keeper seems quite fun uh, and quite... On balance, the artificer definitely play an armorer. I mean, yep. we've been over that. It's yep. it's Iron Man. Barbarians always had good good ones. I mean, if we like, if we go, this big fun fine. If we go through quickly each class, what would be your favorite subclass? Do you think? Oh, so let's like, start off artificer. It's, okay, it's, it's okay. got to be the armorer, isn't it?
1: The yes, artificer. but close second is the the artillerist. I quite like the the fun little cannon.
0: Fair enough. Barbarian, what's your favorite subclass?
1: Uh, I really like the idea of the wild magic from Tasha's. That's nice. I really like the Zealot. Probably
0: close second would be the Totem though,
1: because mm-hmm.
0: they're really good. Bard, it's got to be College of Eloquence. It's just so good.
1: I like College of Swords.
0: Yeah, I I can appreciate that. I, I think that is a fun one. Cleric is a tough one because there's quite a few good cleric ones, I think. Um, I would have to say for me, probably Forge, I think.
1: Yeah, Life Cleric is quite fun. Um, Twilight Cleric is quite fun too. It'd probably be a mix of those two for me.
0: I'd probably say Forge or the Grave Cleric is probably my favourite. Because the Forge, you just get so tanky. And the Grave Cleric has like, you can negate crits and stuff, which is mm-hmm. just always good. Druid, what would be your favourite on Druid? <sighs> it's a tough one, though, isn't it? Mm. I never really played a Druid. I don't even know the subclasses all that well, so I'm the just going off the top of my head.
1: The Circle of Stars and the Circle of Wildfire look really nice, but I haven't looked too much into them, and I like that they give you different options for your wild shape. But... Mm, moon is just so good.
0: <laughs> moon is good, man. It is good. I think the only problem with Moon, though, is it kind of lacks in the middle game yeah. a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Obviously, like, Moondred is the best class at 20th level, I think, pretty much. There's no getting around it. It's just... Mm-hmm. It's godly. It's, it's unkillable, basically. And so that is good, but I'm thinking, if I'm thinking about the experience from 1 to 20, I would probably have to say... I do like the Circle of Stars. I do think that is really cool. And thematically, just becoming, like, a it's constellation yeah. Is, it's really it's, cool. It's quite nice. I like Circle of the, Circle of the shepherd, to be honest because I think the druid is yeah, quite a good Shepherd's, caster. Um, shepherd is what uh, Timble was. So I'll take that. I like that. I like that, so I'll go with that one. Fighter is so tough, man.
1: Battlemaster I, is really fun. Um, every,
0: everyone complains about the fighter just not being that good in 5e, but I think it's really good.
1: I think it's good. I really like um, for a little bit of magic in your fighter, either Eldritch Knight and Rune Knight, the new Rune Knight, is f- for flavour. I like it.
0: Mm. If I had to pick my favourite, I would probably say... Yeah, it has to be Battlemaster, because it's so good. Mm-hmm. Close second, though, I really like the Samurai. You can I've never get... played a Samurai. You can just get, like... I'm just thinking builds with it, where you can... It has an ability where all your attacks get advantage for a turn, and you can do it a few times per short rest or long rest or whatever it is. Mm. Uh, I was thinking, combine that, like, if, say, you're an archer, and then combine that with elven accuracy, so you get triple advantage. And then, because you can generate advantage so easily with that subclass, it's a really fun build. And then beyond that, I think the Psy Warrior could be really cool. I've not looked into it too much, though, other than no, just reading it. I haven't it. either. I haven't thought about, I haven't munchkin it too much. Monk... I mean, it's got to be astral self. I think because the other. I ones don't know are all... enough
1: about monk to pick. To be honest.
0: Yeah, I mean, if you run through them, they're just obviously four elements. The worst thing in the game. Mm-hmm. Open hand is okay. Uh, sh- the was it the shadow monk and whatnot is all right. I think. I've not really looked too much at the other ones, but then I think Astral Self is probably the best and thematically the coolest. It's very anime. I quite like it.
1: <laughs> I have the power of anime and God on my <laughs> side. Yeah, okay, yeah.
0: Paladin Ben. What's your favourite?
1: <sighs> 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 I like Oathbreaker. Really, I do. However, if I was gonna take like if I was gonna go off my Paladin choices for my um. My Hex Blade, it would be Conquest, I think.
0: Well, I just think Conquest is a better Icebreaker. But because I feel like they, f- they fill a similar niche of thematically. Yeah. But I would say, yeah, Conquest is probably the best mechanically. I really do like Vengeance, though, because I love the, mm-hmm. the tenants of Vengeance. You really walk that path of being like so close to the edge of falling, but you mm-hmm. just you just stave it off. You're very Punisher esque, which I think is quite, quite fine. I really like that and then ranger i mean i don't know i guess horizon walker is nice horizon walker is good i probably would say that's maybe my favorite at the minute although i've never played a ranger so i can't really speak to it to be honest fair but then and then rogue i would say probably the phantom right now it's yeah? awesome it's okay. really good it's really um
1: cool. i like arcane trickster just because i love that whole thing of using yeah. the mage hand to do stuff and um Swashbuckler's fun, though. I've been playing alongside a Swashbuckler, and they, they're they having a lot of fun, and I can see that. So,
0: Yeah, that, those are cool. I think, yeah, there are good choices for the rogue, just none that really speak to me other than the Phantom right now. And then mm-hmm. Sorcerer, I've not really played any Sorcerers, and I don't really know what the best one is, to be honest.
1: I would say... probably either Divine, Draconic, or Storm. Wild magic just lets me down. I love the idea of it, but it, it's just not it's not great.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. Another shout out as well, I forgot to think, is the um uh oh, what is it? The Tempest Cleric as well is really fun. Yes. It's not it's not like that mechanically strong, but I think it's pretty fun. Yeah. Saucer, for me, I really can't say. I I would maybe say yeah, Divine Soul is probably the best. Mm. Or the one I like the most. And then Warlock. Hexplayed. It's got to be Hexblade, isn't it? It's Obviously. just so, it's just so much better than the rest. Although I got to say, I really do like the Fathomless that's come out here. Cause just, I love all that HB Lovecraft stuff. And yeah. the,
1: uh, yeah. And I knew you'd be in on that with wizard Ben. So you're going to hate me, but war wizards, I love war Wizard. I like being that tanky up front. gets to go first in combat wizard. Um, second for me do you know what i don't even think i have a second i don't know i just i really like war wizard
0: war wizard is it is good i mean like it has some sort of dud abilities but the ones that are good are so good that yeah. it uh i mean just the fact that you get to add your intelligence to initiative is a game changes changer. the game yeah it's so important for a wizard to go first and that is a big bump in that direction. You get like alert on there as well when you're going to have like a plus oh, 15 to God a, a, you are a,
1: never going wrong. Yeah, it's it's yeah,
0: it's it's really good. I mean, beyond that, here's the thing, Ben. I I love the idea of the blade singer, but it's mm. just not just good doesn't enough. pull it off, does it? No, it doesn't. We've spoken about this before. It, it it's I don't know if the wizard is the perfect class for that type of gish to sit in. It probably nice. sits you know, I would love, like, a an arcane-focused paladin. How would mm-hmm. that work? I mean, I don't know how that works thematically. I guess it doesn't really. but no. maybe. But they've done it with the cleric, because you've got the arcana cleric, haven't you? So mm-hmm. maybe they could make it work, and that could be more gishy, but there you go. And then, yeah, I would say probably the... Uh, it's got to be Divination for me, just because Portent is such...
1: Yeah, that's fair. I mean, divination and uh, abjuration are very, very good, so they would be close to that in second, I think.
0: Yeah, I really. I mean, the problem is with divination. Other than portent, I don't think it brings a lot to the table. But portent is so good, it doesn't really matter. And the mm-hmm. fact that like just being a wizard anyway is so good that your subclass kind of makes re- up for it. Yeah. Your subclass is like a slight bonus, but the ma- the main crux is being a wizard. Whereas I think with a lot of other classes, like um. I don't know, I would say probably like barbarian. I think your subclass really colours how you act and behave as a barbarian. Same same with like a bard as well. Mm -hmm. But with a wizard and like fighter and rogue to some extent, your subclass is more just a an added bonus than anything, but mm. there you go. now it's interesting.
1: Lovely. Well, look, let's end this episode because we we did go off the rails a little bit by giving our quick hints and tips for running qu- good short sessions because that's that's where we were going and <laughs> we went off the ball like always. Um, so, just to round it all off, short sessions they are good. Um, use them, but as always with us, it comes down to that little p-word pacing, um, making sure that you're You've got a direction for your party to go in. You know which way they're going to go and what what those outcomes could be, and um, maybe sometimes putting a time limit on it. I think that helps too.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think you can you can sort of garner what the good and bad parts of the pros and cons list, if you will, of a short session. Just from you know earlier in this episode where we were going through our short session and and how it impacted things. I think that when you you have a short session like that, you've got to look at the positives from it. Yeah, you can't. You, you don't have time to do massive amounts of uh, exposition and explanation. And if you're going to do a combat and whatnot, that's going to eat up the whole session, basically. Can't, yeah. but, but so short sessions are much better in the other pillars of the game, the social and the exploration uh, style. I think you can get a lot done in those because combat just by its nature takes up a lot of time anyway, unless you've got a really snappy party that know what they're doing and have all their abilities and their ducks in a row, it's going to take time. So bear that in mind. But it can still work if you just have a short session three hours In like we're going to do one combat it's going to take this three hours it's going to be a big battle that's fine because generally after a big battle the players kind of t- sort of tuck it out anyway yes they're sort of like baby yoda you know after he does his little force powers they just, they <laughs> just fall then. over they just fall over on the floor it's so, like give me some eggs give me some calamari so then if you got like another two or three hours after that sometimes it can be a bit exhausting so that can work as well but i just think if Go into the session thinking, okay, as a DM, how can I get the most out of this? What can I implement? And to make it worthwhile, if you have lots of short sessions on the spot, but because you're not getting through a long thread from one to the other, especially if you play quite sparsely, like my games, my key thing I try to do is, okay, what at least one impactful thing can I have happen this session that the players will remember? What's, they will remember this session it won't just be a right okay we played d d for three hours but what did we really do yeah. it's more of we played d d for three hours and boom this one thing happened we achieved this or this thing changed the game in a way right mm-hmm. and so I think that's the key to take away from it is to sort of use those smaller sessions to be focused like in our game today the focus was solving this one immediate problem with the xanathar that was going to screw us over and we solved that problem in that session
1: what's really nice as well is that a lot of the time your party will set up those problems for themselves so you know i didn't i kind of led you to the point that you could take this this plushy beholder which is what caused this problem to solve a different problem that you had but i wasn't coming into this session thinking, right, the thing they're going to deal with today is this problem. You guys sat down and went, no, this is our problem that we're going to deal with. So take those cues from your players. They know what's going to matter to them on the top of their list of things they need to achieve because as as is the way with any game if you play video games it's also the way with DD, those quest logs they rack up and the players will put them in order or in order of importance you as a dm might have an order in your brain of what needs to be done first logically like in in the way the story goes and things but the players are going to have a different list and that's what they're going to stick to it doesn't matter how much you tell them no you should go and do this today they're going to focus on something else if it means more to them so feed off of that take that and roll with it and come in and be open to changing what that one thing is going to be and also as a side note if you're playing weekly shorter sessions inherently are going to be a lot easier to pull off because you're then going to have this episodic approach to d d that you can implement to make those shorter sessions feel more like fun little romps where important things happen and it's like previously on and last week you did and you'll have these moments that come out of those that episodic structure so if you have those those regular games, then one you're blessed, but two, you know, <laughs> lean into that. You can use that to really nail that short session feeling. One, you know, thank everyone
0: for yes. turning up every <laughs> week.
1: Be great. Buy them dice because they deserve it, and use the code we speak common for ten percent off.
0: Oh my goodness, Benjamin, oh, you're on fire today! I'm on
1: fire. Um, which would be very painful uh, if it was literal cool <laughs> um <laughs> thanks joe this was this was good fun i enjoyed myself
0: yeah as always i wonder if there's any sort of uh knowledge to be gained from this but i had a good time so yeah there's so w- that. why
1: does it matter um, exactly <laughs> i do think this is one of those episodes you have to listen to the whole thing to get the takeaway from it but oh well
0: <laughs> yeah well it's a long game isn't it you gotta you know yeah
1: yeah yeah you gotta earn it you gotta we're not gonna that's just give it to you on a plate that's it that's it that's cool. what we keep telling ourselves well, go and have a wonderful evening, and uh, we will be playing D and D in a few days. We're playing on Saturday, I think, aren't we? It's Tuesday today, so um, looking forward to that. Do you know what you're going to do?
0: Uh, no, really. Well, I guess we're going to go kill the old manchun, aren't we? That's, that's the oh, plan. I
1: hope that's so. The... I'm looking forward to that that little mini dungeon crawl. I'm really excited. Uh, I'm. For. I'm.
0: You see, here's the thing. Ben is constantly. Every time I try and bring up killing the manchun. he he, he runs in with an NPC could be out of nowhere completely out of context. he says
1: yeah but listen to
0: him first what has he got to say what's his law and I'm going to go in there and kill him before he has a chance to say a single word you know what I mean and then as he's falling he's trying to give him the monologue I'll be like no Ben I cover his mouth I don't want to hear it I don't want to hear it
1: I'll be really disappointed if that happens Um, because he has it's just one of those things where I like to play in a world where it isn't black and white and I want you to know what he wants that's all but anyway you know so be it that'll be how the game goes i'm not i'm not precious i like to th-
0: i like to think that even if he dies there's like a uh, a, a programmed image spell just like there's a, there. there's a magic mouth like, it's like you know on the chance that i'm dead have a listen to
1: this. You know. <laughs> Here's what I was doing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to be fair, <laughs> even if you did just kill him, there are clues. Like, if you kill him in his sanctum, there will be clues around what he was doing anyway, because it's where he yeah. lives and works. So, yeah. Nah,
0: I'm I, I mean, I do want to know what's happened. I just found it funny that, you know, I was like, okay, Ben really wants me yeah, to know. Yeah, but it's
1: it's not even just that though. I mean it is a little bit that, but it's also that all of the characters that you are working for and working with, they want to know as well because this guy is this big important person. Like what the what the hell has he been doing all these years in secret? I guess so, we'll never know. No. <laughs> we never will and once you've killed him and, and the game is finished we're going to start up an episode of the podcast and I'm going to bloody tell you <laughs> oh, right. okay. oh. see you later mate bye bye thanks for listening today if you like the podcast do us a favour leave us a like or review on your platform of choice and share us with your friends you can get in touch with us on Twitter at we Speak Common, or through the email WeSpeakCommon at Hotmail.com. The music in the podcast is Street Dancing by Timecrawler82 and is licensed under an attribution license, CC, by NC. You can find it on the Free Music Archive.